0: Ross Tucker football podcast, because I would never do that to you guys. I bring it every day, especially on a finish strong Friday, which is presented by you or at least those of you that are winners, because on Friday, we reward the winners amongst our listeners. I want winners. I want people that want to win. Thank you, Mike Singletary. So do we, because we are the little engine that could. We aren't one of the big NFL podcasts, one of the big ESPN or The Ringer. Nope. It's just me and Bri, Brian, and me, RT Media, and you guys. You guys are part of this, a huge part of this, including the Spread the Word winner this week, Jamie Carpenter, who I believe liked the Fantasy Feast On Twitter, Brian's post, at RTF Podcast. Brian posted it, at RTF Podcast. And Jamie liked it. So thank you, Jamie. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL. You guys know that. Hopefully, most of you that are on Twitter are already following both of us. If you're on Instagram, hopefully you're following at Ross Tucker NFL and at RTF Podcast. It means a lot. And if you're listening to the Fantasy Feast, like clearly Jamie Carpenter does and did, you not only heard Joe Dolan talk about all of the rookie wide receivers that were drafted a couple weeks ago from a fantasy perspective, you also heard how you can enter to draft against me and Joe Dolan for free in a best ball draft here in May. And if you win, you get the 100 bucks. Winner take all. You get the hundred bucks in the best ball classic. Pretty darn cool. Listen to the fantasy feast, so you know exactly what you need to do there. The sponsor confirmation email winner is Jim Wolf. He is one of the guys that took advantage of the one hundred flowers code football the past week or so, and he said "semper fi" at the end, which means he was a marine. You guys know I have a soft spot in my heart for anyone that has ever served in the military. So, Jim, you are the sponsor confirmation email winner this week. You will get one of these awesome press passes that I'm sending out as soon as my daughters help me with them. They help me pick out which ones to give to which people they actually like it. My daughters think that autograph fulfillment is like a normal thing that kids do, but they do it. Other than that, beyond excited to start for the first time what we are calling co-sells concepts. These are going to be like evergreen. I'll get into the schedule and my thoughts in a little bit, but first let's get knowledgeable. Let's learn. Let's talk RPOs with the goat. Greg Cosell. It's big show time. The big show. All right, Greg. So before we get to the RPO stuff and dive into our first ever co-sells concepts, which I'm <laughs> beyond excited for, over the next few months, <laughs> I did want to start with the schedule. Now I feel like I mean, Greg, we've been doing this a long time now. Well, I know that I, I, you I'm don't. Gonna,
2: I'm going to struggle here because I didn't watch it.
0: No, I know. Wait, wait, Greg, come on, man. Let... <laughs> I, I know you well, okay? I know that you don't really care about the schedule. The games are scheduled when they're scheduled. They're played when they're played. I I, I mean, it's been like ten years, I think, Greg. I, I know.
2: I know. I know. But I, mean, I also I normally know start caring about the schedule in July.
0: Right, but here's my question for you, okay? How important in the NFL are matchups? And when I say that, I mean everybody looks at the schedule and says, okay, well, when we play Detroit, that's a win, or Jacksonville, that's a win. You know, whatever. It's what everybody's doing this morning, last night, when they're looking at their team's schedule. But you literally are the founder and executive producer and on-air host for a show that's called right. NFL Matchup. So I wanted you to talk about the fact that your schedule is not as easy as looking at the record of the other team or even you know what the Vegas win-loss proposed record is for this year and that there are certain teams that are just better or worse matchups for other teams For various reasons because nobody else is talking about that right now
2: well I think that coaches don't don't think in terms of that's a win that's a loss coaches think in terms of every game is a tough game every Sunday and you can lose to anybody now I think when coaches see the schedule there's a couple of things that come to mind And I've had these conversations. Number one, they look at the first game of the season because every team wants to win that game. And if it's a division game, all the more better because they focus on the division anyway in a lot of their off-season work. Uh, If it's not uh, a division game, then it's a little different animal. Um, But coaches look at the first part of the season initially, uh, the first three, four weeks. That's what they'll prepare for in the off-season. And the other thing they look at is if there's new coaches with teams, particularly if those coaches have a track record in the NFL, they study coaches. One thing that I've learned over the years and talk about all the time is coaches coach against coaches. Now does personnel impact that to some degree? You know, let's say you have a big time shutdown corner. You might play a little more man to man coverage as a, as a defensive coordinator uh, than, than zone if you're a zone coach. But for the most part, Coaches look at the opposing coaches, and if they have a track record, they know what they're going to get, and that's how they prepare for games. It's all done tactically. They're not interested in, oh, well, the Detroit Lions only won a few games last year, and, you know, they're not very good. Coaches never think that way.
0: So then that that, that was really well done, Greg, and really well explained. My next question, though, is, I mean, look, there are upsets – every single week in the NFL and you guys on your NFL matchup show on ESPN, you break down the matchups and we see it all the time, Greg, that there are certain quote unquote bad teams that always seem to beat a good team or give them trouble. Like last year, for example, the Arizona Cardinals gave the 49ers all they could handle in both of those games, for whatever Correct. reason, the Cardinals were a tough matchup for the Niners. So no matter what anybody thinks of strength of schedule and all that stuff, those matchups that you just talked about, they matter.
2: Well, that's because for the most part, the talent level in the NFL on given teams is not that different. Um, Sure, there are exceptions, and there's obviously great players uh, throughout the league. But for the most part, you know, when you go play the Arizona Cardinals, for instance, and you have a quarterback like Kyler Murray, you ask any defensive coordinator in the league, and they'll tell you that he's a very difficult quarterback to defend. So on any given day, Kyler Murray can be a problem for any given defense, no matter how good that defense is personnel-wise or scheme-wise. And that's the way it is throughout the league. Look, you played in the league, what, seven years, was it, Ross, eight years?
0: Yes, seven.
2: You know that coaches always talk about how hard it is to win on Sunday. You can't tell me that coaches sit around and and say, oh, this one's an easy one for us, no problem this week. Coaches don't talk like that, correct?
0: I would say, if anything, Greg, they're more worried about those weeks because they know that they can lose to those teams.
2: (laughs) Correct. Because that's what history shows you can lose to any team any Sunday and there's good coaches all throughout the league I know sometimes fans think that teams that don't have great records that means the coaches are idiots that's not the case at all there's good coaches in this league all throughout the league good teams bad teams Um, so you know that's that's the way coaches see it they'll start preparing now for week one for the first four weeks of the season and for their division games that's the teams in their division that's the way they'll go about and they'll be doing it tactically not based on last year's record or not based on whether the the middle linebacker is a great player or not a great player that's not the way they're going to look at it
0: let's dive into CoSell's concepts greg i'm beyond excited about this and by the way I think I said on Wednesday's show that if anybody had any ideas to let me know, I've already gotten five or six emails about <laughs> well, good. people we'll that just
2: keep doing it. Then,
0: yeah, why not? The people like I, I, to I learn. Need, I
2: need things to do. the uh, The lockdown was just extended for thirty days in New Jersey. I need things to do, Ross.
0: Exactly, and people people like to learn, Greg. So let's start with RPOs. They are run pass options, and I want you to define. What an RPO is. I just explained what, it, what, you know, what the RPO stands for, but how would right. you define an RPO, Greg?
2: Well, an RPO is what the name implies. On a given play, the quarterback who's in the shotgun has two options. He can either hand the ball off to a back or he can throw a pass. Now, the offensive line, normally, one side of the offensive line will run block. That would be the side that the run would go to if he chooses to hand the ball off. The other side of the line would often pass protect because there's a pass element. Um, Now, usually what happens is a particular defender, based on the defensive front, and that's based on film study, a particular defender will be the player who determines for the quarterback whether he hands the ball off or whether he throws a pass. So if that particular defender, let's say, attacks downhill to defend the run, then he is abandoning his pass coverage responsibility so the quarterback would not hand the ball off, he would then throw the ball. If that defender stays back and and covers pass as opposed to playing downhill, then he would hand the ball off. Now, I've just simplified it in in detail. Now, most people believe that in the, the pass game, in the RPO concept, has to be a quick game throw because part of your offensive line is run blocking and not pass protecting. But what is happening now in the league is the pass game route concepts have become expanded with RPOs because at the end of the day, You can make any throw and run any route as long as you can protect. So teams are now figuring out offensively, and now defenses, I'm sure, will respond as we go forward. It's very cyclical. But offenses are figuring out that, hey, we can run any route concept as long as we can protect it. So that's where it's going offensively with RPOs. It's not just a quick slant anymore. Everything was a quick slant, bang, bang, bang. But as long as you can protect you can make other throws. You know, you can run an RPO and throw a fade ball on the outside because a fade ball is essentially a a quick game kind of throw. So whatever you can protect, you can make those kinds of throws in an RPO game if you choose the pass element of it.
0: So much good stuff there, Greg. And I would say you, you mentioned who they're reading. It seems like, and maybe this is expanded, but it seems like most of the time, is it fair to say, Greg, they are reading the outside linebacker and or the nickel slot defender away from where the run is supposed to go?
2: Yeah, they're Correct. Because what they're doing is they're reading a player who in in parlance would be called kind of an overhang defender more often than not. A player who's not necessarily right in the box. Although this can change depending, you know, that's the great thing about the RPO is it's becoming expansive. Just like everything, coaches work and work and work and they expand it. But normally you're not reading an inside stacked player. But you can be reading an inside stack player. For instance, the Eagles have run RPOs where they want want to run outside zone stretch from the shotgun. So It it essentially looks like a sweep and very often you will read a stacked linebacker because if the stacked linebacker immediately attacks downhill and tries to hit the A-gap hard, you will hand the ball off because obviously he's taking himself out of the play as a pursuit player. So it depends on the run game call. It depends on how you choose to block. We see RPOs now. Normally they started more as zone-type concepts. Now you're seeing RPOs at times where it's a gap scheme-type concept. Everything is based on how you can protect and how you feel you can protect for the pass element.
0: Yeah, it's definitely expanding. I mean, initially, Greg, it was really just inside zone, away from where the, the back was lined up, And just so the listeners can see this, the linebacker that Greg's talking about—that's the overhang. He's kind of in the box, kind of not. He still is usually responsible for the backside B gap. That's the gap between the guard and the tackle on the backside. But he also player, right? But also, if it's a pass, he is responsible for like the curl hook area to that side. So the whole point of the RPO is to put that guy in a bind to the point where they say, Greg, he can't be right, right? If he comes downhill to to worry it, to make sure he's there for the backside B gap, if the running back cuts it back like he has to be, well, then they're going to throw the ball behind him. If he sits and he sits in the the hook curl – To take away the slant by that receiver to that side, he's going to be late to fill the backside B gap, and you're going to have an advantage there.
2: Right. That's correct. Um, Now, just to add one reason you're seeing more man-to-man coverage in the NFL, particularly versus teams that do use the RPO, and more and more teams are doing it. It's a good offensive concept is because – If you play man, particularly press, uh, then you take away, you can disrupt routes off the line and you take away the quick game throw in the RPOs. That's one reason leading up to the Super Bowl versus the Eagles, and I know The uh, Patriots gave up a lot of yards, but one thing that Bill Belichick was not overly worried about was the Eagles' RPO game with Nick Foles because they play so much man coverage. And when you play man coverage and you can disrupt routes off the line of scrimmage, those quick game throws often can be taken away. But the Eagles, they're a team that's done some really cool things with RPOs in expanding route concepts. So, again, you can run, like I said, any route concept... As long as you can protect, and that's where it's going offensively, and defensively, as far as more man coverage.
0: You know, <clears throat> um, couple. Th- this is so good. This is so fun. So, a couple things here. When I played Greg, we would have essentially RPOs in the sense that they would call them smoke or yep. look passes.
2: It would. It would be tagged, right. Everybody, right. You're exactly right. Those are, in a sense, RPOs, too. It's funny you mention that because those have been around for years where it would be a run call, and the, the play call at the end, you, you'd tag it, with, all, with whether it was smoke, alert, whatever the word would be. And, and let's say the quarterback came to the line of scrimmage and you had a gap scheme run called, and he saw that the corner was playing ten yards off the wide receiver. Well the receiver and the quarterback would know that it was smoke and he'd quickly throw it out to the receiver and he'd get eight yards in a heartbeat. And you know, then it was second and two. Right, no, but you're and that, exactly right. It's kind of an expansion happened, of that.
0: Right. And that happened because usually when the corner was off the safety to that side was down because yep. it was a run look. Now the no point question. I would make is what's different is because I'm pointing out what we used to do when I was playing 2001 through 2008. What's different is that was a pre-snap read, whereas the RPOs now are really more of a post-snap read. So I guess that's the the big Correct. difference. I would you're, also you're, say...
2: You're taking it a step further so that the defense does not, you know, have the advantage, so to speak. You know, you're... you're making the play call based on the you're executing a play based on the defense's reaction after the snap of the ball.
0: Right. So now I want to get into how it differs from play action. And the one point I wanted to make is what's interesting about talking about RPOs is that they are still ever evolving. So typically, the difference I've always felt like as an analyst calling a game is that in a play-action pass, number one, it's a pass all the way. You're, you're throwing the ball. Number two, the offensive linemen, even though they will sell, run action hard, they are not letting anybody go unblocked. They, they, are, Correct. they are protecting. Whereas on the RPO, for the longest time, Greg – on the RPO, the offensive line just blocked run, which meant that that backside defensive end was unblocked, which is why John Gruden called it the ridiculous protection offense. Uh, that's, That's what he called the RPO, ridiculous protection offense. Right. And that's why the quarterback had to get rid of it. Now, what we've seen is that, to your point earlier, there are times now where even if it's inside zone to the right, that backside tackle will still—he's
2: pass protecting.
0: Yeah, he'll still at least hang initially on the D end to give him a look or to slow him down or to tie him up, as opposed to going up for the linebacker or just going with the inside zone as he was. But initially, Greg, they on the RPOs they weren't pass protecting; they were just running the run. And right, the quarterbacks it was be were getting a killed, quarterbacks had and, to be in and, gun and, and get no rid of pass it quickly. could
2: get there anyway.
0: Right, but then some of the quarterbacks were starting to get killed, and they thought, well, do we really need him to go up on the backside? Because we're kind of handling that guy. We're kind of handling the backside backer with the option. Why are we having the backside tackle go up to block a guy who might be sitting there playing the hook curl anyway? And we're, that's the guy we're optioning off of.
2: Correct. Well, that's why I said the protection concepts off of this are changing. And, and as long as you can protect, you can do other things. And then the other thing is when you watch tape is, and we have this discussion in the matchup room all the time, and I had a, a, a college coach working with us on the matchup show this year who coached for 25 years in college football. And sometimes I'd call him in when I was watching a play, and I'd say, is this an RPO or just play action? And sometimes you don't know, for, you're not 100% certain because the look can be very, very similar.
0: Sort of like with the Ravens, Greg, you don't always know whether Lamar Jackson's reading or he's taking the ball no matter what.
2: It's funny you say that because I saw Greg Roman at the Maxwell Club dinner and we had that brief conversation and he obviously wasn't going to give me the percentage, but I said to him, you know, I watch your tape and sometimes I don't know if it's a zone read or if it's just a design run for Lamar and he said, well, we do both and he wasn't going to give me you know the game plan but you know sometimes you just don't know and defenses then don't know either
0: right and that's the beauty of it right is of course that that's that's what makes it uh so so good uh is there anything else that we missed greg or that should be mentioned i feel like that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it comparing it to play action the protection who we're reading, you mentioned how it's evolving and it's not just the backside slant. Anything else before we we close up the first edition of Cosell's Concepts?
2: Just to look ahead, I would... Uh, count on, assuming Tua is the starting quarterback for Miami, I would count on them using a ton of RPOs because Alabama's offense with him at quarterback ran RPO concepts in normal down and distance situation, about 30% of their snaps. So he is very fluid and familiar with RPO concepts, and because he's such a timing-based quarterback, it really works for him.
0: Love it. Greg, you are the man Terrific job as always. Make sure you're checking out this man on Twitter at Greg Cosell as well as all of his draft guides, draft breakdowns on FantasyPoints.com. You guys heard on yesterday's Fantasy Feast that if you use the code FEAST at FantasyPoints.com, all caps. By the way, FantasyPoints.com is free right now. And if you use the code FEAST, F-E-A-S-T, all caps. When it does go to a subscription site, you will get a discount. But right now, you get access to all of Greg Cosell's unbelievable draft breakdowns. They are so well done. He's posted some of them on Twitter, but there's like over 100 at FantasyPoints.com. Greg, you are the man. Appreciate the time.
2: Thanks, Ross, so much. Enjoyed it.
0: Speaking of matchups, by the way, Bri, if you are a UFC fan, UFC 249 is coming up tomorrow, and you can listen to the end of this podcast to hear former MMA star Chael Sonnen and Bet Online's Dave Mason talk all things UFC 249. You know, I love fighting. I love people hitting each other. Like I, I, I love the the primal nature of that, I just never can stay up late enough for UFC stuff. At any rate, not only can you listen to those guys to hear more about it, then you can actually bet on it. BetOnline is your online wagering solution. Visit BetOnline.ag. Don't forget the promo code PODCAST1 for your sign-up bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Tuck takes.
3: Well, the 2020 NFL schedule has been released officially. Ross,
0: your takeaways. Well, you know, I talk about this every year, Bri. Um, As a player, you're really, and I tweeted this, at Ross Tucker NFL, you really look at the bye week. Nowadays, the guys look at the Thursday night game. We didn't have that when I was playing. I did play in a Thanksgiving game, but we didn't have the Thursday night game. Then you look at, you know, who you play the first game, and then maybe your primetime games, and that's it. takes like a minute. If that, That you'd be amazed how many NFL players don't even look at the schedule. They don't really care. You, you, you'd you probably be amazed. So that's number one. But that's what I would look at. The bye week, who we had week one, maybe. If we had any primetime games or how many, just look for some eight o'clock. Oh, so we got two primetime games. All right, that's it. My takeaways this year, I've never looked at a schedule before and just hoped that the games were played. I mean, think about it, Bri. Like, it's a schedule. It's on the schedule. It's going to happen. It's scheduled. Nope, not this year. This year, it's hopefully going to happen. And there weren't a lot of clues as to necessarily – what the NFL could do as backup plans, but Adam Schefter had pointed out that option number one would essentially be tacking on any games that they would miss at the start to the end. So they really want to get 16 games in. So option one would be Let's say they can't play September 13th or whenever it's supposed to start. Well, they push it back two weeks to September 27th. Weeks one and two would then be weeks 18 and 19. So those are the first options is that they just tack on the start of the year to the end of the year. And almost up until about four weeks, I feel like they would do that. If it's more than that, then they have other things built in like, everybody in week two has the same bye week. So, maybe they tack week one onto the end and say your week two team that you're supposed to play, instead you're playing them during your bye week. Then, there are no division games in week three or week four. So, if they had to get rid of a couple games... Those are the weeks that they'd probably get rid of. Weeks three and weeks four. So they do have a bunch of breathing room and contingency plans in there if they need
2: them, takes.
3: The other big league news is that pass interference replay is not going to return in 2020.
0: Well, I think it's a mistake. There's a reason why they put it in the error in the 2018 nfc championship game was unacceptable and i don't think that you should remove something just because it was not implemented effectively i think you should implement it better before you just remove something that was in my mind necessary they're they're going the wrong way they're they're going the opposite direction of the way I feel like personally they should go. I know some people disagree. I think there are very reasonable arguments to be made either way. But my personal opinion is they need to have a mechanism to correct obvious errors. And now they don't. Again.
2: Tuck takes.
3: Raven safety. Earl Thomas was in the news as a result of a domestic incident that saw his wife get arrested after pointing a loaded gun at his head.
0: These situations are always so sad to me. I never really know quite what to say. I'm not here to place blame. I'm not here to point fingers. You know, not everybody lives perfect lives or whatever. I'll let you guys go ahead and read the details of what happened and come to your own judgment. Or not, or perhaps not. You know, I'm 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 not really judging. Um, there's a lot of behavior that went on there that I am personally not a a big fan of or a believer in. But you know, it's not my life. I'm not doing it. I don't think it doesn't sound like it would affect Earl Thomas's ability to play with. The Ravens, based on what I read, it was his wife that was arrested, not him. You know, what he did is not illegal. Uh, it's just, some would say, immoral. So, anyway, I, don't, I I can't stand talking about stuff like that. Let's get to the next one.
2: All
3: right, some of the other news includes Tua's going to wear number one for the Dolphins. Cam Irving signs with the Cowboys and Panthers. Tackle Russell Okung's NLRB—that means Ross—that's the National Labor Relations Board. His unfair labor practice charge was
0: dismissed. Tua is wearing number one for religious reasons. He has a—he uh, is a young man of tremendous faith, and he wants to say he's playing for one. He's playing for God. Uh, that's my understanding think it's really cool. I think it's really cool that he feels that way and that that's why he's wearing the jersey. Uh, Cam Irving, Cowboys are not messing around about having O-line depth, are they? Wow. I mean, they went up and got Tyler Biotis in the fourth round. Now they get Cam Irving. I mean, it's going to be a battle for those interior spots for the Cowboys, although Irving can play tackle as well. And Russell Okung, you know, Sure, seems like he spends a lot of money on lawyers and and makes a big deal about running for the NFLPA president and this unfair. And it doesn't seem like he accomplishes a whole lot. You know, I mean, I don't know if I'm wrong, right or wrong, but it just ultimately it's like it gets dismissed. It doesn't work. It's, he, he doesn't win. He he um, removes his name from consideration. I don't know. that'd be an interesting thing for someone to uh to check out speaking of checking out you guys can always check me out on cameo by the way if you're looking for cool gifts for i don't know anniversaries father's day i guess is about a month away after we have mother's day on sunday whatever i love doing cameos for for listeners like you guys so just go to cameo.com or whatever and you can find me and I'll give a little video shout-out. Whatever you want me to say, I'll do it. Okay, I'm like a monkey. I'll do whatever you want me to do. It's fun. It's hilarious. You guys get a kick out of it. I get a kick out of doing them. Shout-outs today. The White Label Group, Pizza Boy Brewing, NFLcliches.com, and Dynastyfreaks.com. I want each and every one of you to have an awesome weekend utilize the time how you see fit but remember family is everything at least in my mind so uh enjoy it enjoy everything you guys do all weekend if you missed any of the shows this week college draft was awesome fantasy feast even money andrew brand's business of sports with david falk was cool you can certainly catch up on them this weekend if you're doing stuff around the house or whatever other than that i think we're done here
1: For listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Fantasy Feasts, Even Money, Business of Sports, and College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. All right, now we are joined by Dave Mason from BetOnline.ag. Dave, we can finally talk about some fights. UFC 249 is going to happen. Let's just start with that, man. Is it, does it feel good to get back to some normalcy?
4: Oh, absolutely. And you know, as I have told you before, UFC is one of my favorite sports. So uh, makes it even better. Been waiting a long time here for some real sports action. And it's a great card too. And three cards within a week, it's looking like. So uh, we're excited.
1: Hey, Dana was just talking about adding a fourth. I mean, if he adds a fourth, not only is that four cards to look forward to, but on an average of 10 fights per card. I mean, if you're a fight fan, you got a busy month ahead. Oh,
4: absolutely. I I can't wait. Finally put my Netflix machine on the back burner. And watch watch some sports again
1: i'm i can't wait all right, well let's start. Uh, let's start with the main event. I mean, it's going to be for an interim world title fight. You're talking about Justin Gaethje versus uh, versus Tony Ferguson. Before we get in the odds of it, this fight is different now that it's May 9th as opposed to April 18th. In this way, Justin Gaethje accepted that fight on very short notice, and even though he was training and kind of keeping his weight down, it's totally different to have a signed contract and really be pushing and motivated. The mere fact that they've given him three extra Extra weeks to train that does change how this fight looks do you agree
4: no 100% you know those short notice fights are always a tough one for you fighters obviously and we recognize it in the odds and the results when the Habib fight got canceled and he had to pull out and and they replaced him with Justin Gagey I wasn't too disappointed. So sure, i sure I want to see Hippie versus El Kukui. No doubt. But I mean, you know, from a fan standpoint, just a just a good old slugfest. It's not going to get any better than this one, man. I, I, I can't wait. You know, we had Tony Ferguson at uh, minus 172 favorite. He's what won, won 12 fights in a row. I, and just. Justin Gagey off a three-fight win streak. He's a plus 147 underdog. So I I can't wait for this one. Just as a fan of the sport and a fan of competition, this, it doesn't get any better than this. There's no way this fight can be boring. It's impossible.
1: Dana White just did an interview. He was promoting this fight, and he he said, I guarantee you this will be the most violent fight you've ever seen and that was a very interesting word I've, i've never heard him use that word so i was sitting back and pondering what exactly does that mean and do i agree and you know what i think he used the right word this is going to be chaos and violence in a controlled area for up to 25 minutes
4: no absolutely i mean you look at ferguson with those elbows i mean his pointy elbows and his non-stop pace moving forward and Justin Gagey and hit that, that how he hits so hard and he goes in there and balls to the wall. I mean, it's not going to be any kind of strategy, feeling each other out stuff. These guys are going to be going at it, swinging for the fences. Both guys are going to be bleeding. The, the mat's going to be soaked in blood. I, I can't wait.
1: All right, so give me a line on it. What, how, what's Bet Online thinking about this fight? I imagine they're favoring Tony.
4: Yep, Tony's minus 172. The take back on Gagey is plus 147.
1: That's all? Uh, That's all? Yeah once. that's close. That's close it, odds.
4: It, yeah. I mean, it's gone down and up a little bit. It was, you know, down to about minus 150 the other day. So, it's going up and down. You know, Gage, he, he just hits so darn hard, and he's on a three-fight win streak. He's hot. You know, it's it's going to be one of those fights, I think, it comes down to cardio and Tony. Uh, and Tony gets hit, too. He, he's, he's awesome. He's one of my favorite fighters, but... He has been known to get take take a couple hits to the face, so if Gagey can catch him, you don't know. You know he's been knocked down plenty. Ferguson, so I, but I think Ferguson takes it in deep water with that relentless cardio, and that that's what I'm counting on for a you know fourth fifth round stoppage.
1: All right, so we got we got another title fight. The current champion Triple C Henry Cejudo is going to take on former champion Dominant Cruz. You go first on this one, but then you got to let me give you my opinion because I think I have an interesting take. Take it away. Oh, good. Um, you know,
4: Dominic Cruz, maybe the best fighter at that weight class ever, arguably. Henry Cejudo, man, the way he's poured it on the last couple of years, he's just become, you know, he's always had that potential being the a former Olympic gold medalist, and uh, he, he's really put it together the last year and a half, two years, since he beat uh, Demetrius Johnson. Oh, boy. I mean, I, I have to... Cajudo is, is a minus 225 favorite, and I'm going to be on him. I mean, it, it Cruz, it's, he's been off. His last win was almost four years ago, I mean, that's just such a long time, and he— you know, he came back, he fought those three fights, he looked okay, but he didn't look like the dominant Dominic Cruz of of old. So, you know, that that 4 years off is is this too much for me? I'm I'm going to be on to judo and who's peaking and he looks better than ever.
1: All right, Dave, I am not ready to part with my money. I'm not even ready to publicly predict an upset here. However, this has all the makings of an upset. This is a stylistic problem to the highest of levels for Henry. Look, you can tell me on paper that Henry's a better wrestler and you would be right. He was the Olympic champion. He was the greatest wrestler alive. But you can't show me a whole bunch of his fights where he's ever effectively used his wrestling. I only bring that up because with Dominic's footwork and Dominic's ability to control range, to peck away at you, in many ways I think you could agree with me that wrestling is not going to be the solidifier in this contest so if wrestling's not that only leaves the striking and Dominic Cruz has only been outstruck one time in his life and it was a huge shock so if we're to use history use the body of work of these two athletes and agree that there's largely going to be stand-up that's Dominic's world in my opinion this is all the makings for potential upset that's all I'm saying
4: I love it. Opposite sides. Let's do it.
1: Okay. So I don't know if you guys are taking action on this one, but I'm going to assume you are because it's Ngano versus Rosenstrike. That was scheduled to be a main event. So I'm guessing the Bet Online is looking at it. Am I right?
4: Oh, we have all odds on all the fights. Absolutely. Ngano is currently minus 285 favorite. Take back on Rosenstrike is plus 240. And holy God, is, is this going to be like, what a matchup this is? I mean, talk about heavy hitters to. Just giants of men, two big heavyweights. I can't wait for this one. Uh, you know, Rosenstrike—he he's got a great chin. I don't think anybody hits hard in Nagano, but Rosenstrike has a heavy chin, and so uh, yeah, there's some live dog action there, plus two forty. Sometimes it just comes down to who lands that big shot first. Uh, you know, in Nagano, I, I sometimes question his cardio. So if if he swings himself, punches himself out early, and, and it's going into. Two, second or third round. Uh, I, I, I favor Rosenstrike there. I think he can keep moving forward like he did his last fight.
1: You see, that's interesting you bring that up because this is another fight. Because of the change of date, it changes the complexity of the fight. This was originally going to be a main event, which means it was originally going to be yep. a potential of 25 minutes. Now that it's down the card, it's got a maximum of 15 minutes. And to your point about Engano, who does have a little bit of cardio issues, I mean, that's just a reality when you're packing that much muscle around. In many ways, Ways, the lower placement favors Ngano.
4: Absolutely. I mean the five round fight, absolutely. I mean, I don't think those guys can make it in the fourth or fifth round, but the three round fight absolutely uh favors Ngano more than it would in a five round fight. Either way, he's the he's the uh he's a legitimate favorite. But I just like that I like that live dog money on plus two forty on Rosenstreich.
1: All right, let's talk about the rematch. Uh Anthony Pettis, showtime, take it on the cowboy. Mm. Donald Cerrone is, is is this too much too soon for cowboy?
4: I think it is. I mean, especially with his comments that came out the other day where he wasn't mentally into the, the, the McGregor fight a few months ago, he didn't look good and and he didn't fight well. And, and he confirmed it this week. I don't know if that was just him talking, whatever, but he's fought so much, man. I mean, there's no tougher guy in the sport, but he's just coming to an end. I think, you know, you see it with these guys sometimes and, and he, he, he's just been on a, he hasn't won much lately. And, uh, Pettis, you know, I've never been a big Pettis fan, but he he's impressed me the last the last few fights. He's one of those guys who I think had always had all the talent, but I kind of questioned, you know, his, his mindset and, and heart sometimes. And again, heart for a fighter, because I don't have half the heart. This guy does. But he's he's, he's looked a lot, lot, lot tougher, and he's been in some real wars lately. So I just think Pettis deserves favor. He's minus 136 right now. Take back on Cerrone. He's plus 116, but... I don't know. Cerrone just has not looked good the last few fights. Tough as hell, sure, but but he's he's going down. I think.
1: I went back and I rewatched that first fight, Dave. It wasn't competitive in the least. Pettis came out, he hit him with what they called a kick to the body, but it kind it almost looked like a knee, like more of the knee hit. I mean, it's just a really hard shot that would stop a fight. And Cerrone was too tough to stop. He tried to push through it, but it was all downhill from there. Pettis kind of peppered him with a couple of kicks well, punches rather, came back to that exact same shot, that exact same kick, and the exact same yep. part of the body. I had a weird takeaway. Even though I can tell you as a guy that just rewatched this, that was not close. That was not competitive. It was still one of those nights where you look at Pettis and you go, good job, congratulations, but I need to see that again. You made that look so easy that I'm not sure that my eyes are telling me that tr- I need to see that fight again. Is that too big of a stretch for me?
4: No, I mean let, let's run it back, right? You know, it, it both are definitely past their prime, and that was right before I think Pettis won the belt, I believe. So that's right when he was at, at his peak. But yeah, let's let's run it back. Two guys are legends, and and um, let let's run it back. You know, I I just think Pettis has a little bit more in him right now, and Cerrone is is just he's been get beat up too. You know, he's he's been taking a beating too, and I don't like to see that in these fighters once they start losing that chin and start going down a lot.
1: No, I hear you. Look, as a fighter, you're never done with this sport, but you will wake up one day and this sport is done with you. And I, I don't know that either one of these guys is in that spot. I don't wish that for him, but that is a reality that might might unfold in front of us on May 9th.
4: Absolutely. We'll find out, and it's a great card. I can't wait.
1: Dave, I appreciate you, buddy. I miss talking to you. I'm glad we finally have something to catch up on. Thank you, pal.
4: <laughs> Thank you, sir. Take care.